Well, we're continuing in this series on the little book of Ruth, looking at the second half of the first chapter today under the title Return. Tom kindly got me up to speed as to what he said in last week's address, though I've not been party to any of the discussions in home groups since, and I suspect that we didn't all arrive at the same conclusions about whether Naomi and her husband Elimelech were wise or listening to God when they decided to leave their God-given homeland and community to settle in a a foreign and pagan and uh, sometime enemy country, country that's now the southern part of the Arab country of Jordan, kingdom of Jordan. Uh, Of course they left because there was a food shortage at home. Uh, Given the culture of the time, I'd imagine Elimelech made the decision and took responsibility for it and Naomi was the dutiful wife. But in today's reading, it seems that uh, neighbours, their old neighbours in Bethlehem had stayed put And as we come to the end of the reading, they were excited when Naomi returns. But she, for her part, comes back a sad and embittered lady. She'd lived most of her life, her married life, in a foreign land where God was not worshipped or honoured. Not that he was greatly worshipped and honoured in Israel. This was the time of the judges when famously everybody did what they felt like though it was only 70 years or so since God had brought them into the promised land. To put that perhaps in a more familiar context, that's the period between the end of World War II and today. For us, World War II, when I gather, I wasn't alive then, there was, at least at times, a strong sense of dependency on God and National days of prayer were called and people came to share in those times. And if we consider today, against that backdrop, our descent, today's secular, this new phrase, post-truth culture. We're like the book of Judges, aren't we? Everybody does and thinks what's right in their own eyes. Well, Naomi's sons had married local girls in, in Moab But tragically, her husband, Elimelech, died. And then so did those sons, leaving her at least ten years on with two childless, widowed daughters-in-law and no prospect of further children herself. Naomi hears that food is becoming more plentiful back in Bethlehem again and decides it's time to return. Now, you have to bear in mind, unlike our culture, there is no welfare state. A widow with no younger generations following her is going to be both lonely and poverty-stricken. Old age is going to be very frightening indeed. And to rub salt into the wound, if her widowed daughters-in-law return with her, the men back home in Bethlehem will turn their backs on them. It was embedded in Israelite culture that if a woman was widowed, she could only marry a close relative of her deceased husband. If her daughters-in-law do get married, 
they won't be allowed to worship with the Israelites as they were from Moab. Neither they nor any children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren they had. That was part two of the law of the time. Now I said that... Sorry, missing out a page. It's common sense for uh, Ruth and Orpah, therefore her her daughters-in-law, to stay and look for new husbands in Moab, leaving Naomi to return to Israel alone. But both of them at first insist that they are sticking with Naomi. There's much kissing and weeping, but Naomi puts her foot down you are to stay. And eventually, Orpah agrees. And in the Bible's words, she goes back to her people and her gods. Like our own day, again, gods had got mixed up. The god of, like with us, the god of people doing their own thing, the god of individuality, the god of tolerance, uh, the god, to quote um, Archbishop Justin's uh, new book, the God of Mammon, the I Am, or Jehovah, Yahweh, however we transliterate that Hebrew name, who had brought the Israelites across the Red Sea, across the wilderness between Egypt and Canaan, from slavery to freedom. That was the God that Naomi grew up with. And on the other hand, the gods that, the other hand, the gods that uh, Ruth and Orpah had grown up with the gods of the Moabites under their head god, Molech, who could even in serious circumstances demand that children be sacrificed to appease him and put things right. And what people tended to do in those days was to hedge their bets. Uh, Israelites would worship Yahweh, go up to Shiloh, which was where the, uh, the, the tabernacle was at that time, and if Molech looked better at guaranteeing harvests, well, let's, let's uh, you know, pay a bit of uh, worship to him as well. That was the kind of culture of the day. But maybe being away from her homeland, we have to read between the lines here, and you may disagree with me. This is for you to talk about in home groups. Maybe being away from her homeland uh, raised Jehovah, Yahweh, the I Am, in Naomi's estimation. Seeing pagan Moabite worship close up perhaps made her realize uh, the kind of truth which is um, there in Psalm 95. The Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you'd hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the wilderness. That's very exclusive language, isn't it? About the true God, the God who revealed himself to Moses and the Israelites. I said that Naomi was bitter against God. The Bible says that clearly. Yet maybe we've had the experience of both being bitter against God, yet at the same time knowing that all our hope is in him. We have nowhere else to go. 
I guess that's a fairly shared experience in our lives. There seems to be a clue in Ruth saying those stubborn words, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May Jehovah, the I am, punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Again, I'm reading into it, but Israel may have got mixed up with the gods of the surrounding nations, but perhaps Ruth recognized something, recognized the way Naomi honored the one true God, and there was something very compelling about that. That was the way she wanted to go, apart from and in addition to her personal commitment to Naomi. And so they both return to Bethlehem. Naomi, a difficult companion for Ruth, blaming God for the way her life's worked out. If we were there, maybe we might want to quote encouraging verses of Scripture to Naomi to get a smile out of her, get her to suppress her bitter feelings. But you know what? Naomi is being real, isn't she? <laughs> and there's a time for not pushing those things down and letting, letting people, being honest with ourselves too, about what, what's really there underneath and pouring it out. And Ruth actually, by her unfailing faithful love is helping Naomi face the future. The prayer book, the old prayer book, morning and evening prayer services begin with these scriptures. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses. Though we've rebelled against him, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Those are very appropriate words to, to ground us as we approach God in worship. None of those things... To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, gracious and merciful, slow to anger of great kindness. None of those things could be said of the gods that Ruth grew up with or that chief Moabite god. People today have all sorts of images, don't they, of the god of the Bible. I remember when we did the, the Alpha course in our last uh, parish, we had um, people who'd, who'd had a very strict religious upbringing and um, they, they came to Alpha from a non-church background otherwise uh, and ha just had this archetypal picture of God up there with a thunderbolt just ready and eager to throw it if they stepped out of line in the school dinner queue or whatever. It was used as a picture to enforce discipline. That was their picture of God. More... Uh, widespread perhaps nowadays in our culture for those who believe in a God is a, is, a, is a soppy God who loves us to bits, overlooks all our wrongdoings and pats us on our head and says, oh, you were only being your, yourself. You even hear that preach sometimes in church. <laughs> Makes you want to scream. <laughs> 
But the Bible presents us with a God who is holy, who is light, who has no darkness in him at all, who loves to mend broken, humble, real people who turn around to face him. Which, of course, is what repentance means, a turning round, a change of heart and outlook. When I was a, a curate, I, was, I remember being genuinely anxious about how one could return to God's will for one's life if, if one had strayed away. I'm thinking here of, of Naomi, you know, perhaps thinking I should never have le- we should never have left Bethlehem in the first place. This wouldn't have happened. Okay, we'd have shed a few stone along the way, but my friends back there are still alive. Maybe we wandered right out of God's will. Uh, this was uh, this, the time when I was concerned about this was that before Satnav came on the scene, and I saw God's will as like a like a motorway. This is the way I want you to go, uh, and if you've gone up uh, up and uh, un, uh, up an appealing slip road uh, out into the country, and then off down country roads, and suddenly realise you're lost, how do you get back into God's will? Is it a long slog finding the way back onto the motorway before we can touch base with God again? Is he just sitting there with his arms folded and saying, well, there we are, it's your fault. (laughs) And my vicar wisely said, no, it wasn't like that at all. God's will, God's path for our lives begins at the very spot where we have arrived at after going our own way and then realising we're lost. He doesn't say, well, it was your idea to go off down that road. You find your way back and then we'll talk. He's there beside us. Really, like Ruth was for Naomi, wherever we are, wanting to find him again. And we'll find as we move on through this lovely biographical book that God's at work behind the scenes long before we realise it. And in fact, God is not just planning for the next week or, or year. He's planning generations ahead. As Psalm 90 says, a thousand years to you, God, are like a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. And then, of course, Peter says in one of his letters, the opposite's true too. God can create very significant things out of fleeting moments that we barely notice. Maybe some of what I've said resonates with some of us. There'll be fruit there for our conversations in home group this week. We look at our national leaders, and whether you agree with Theresa May's outlook or actions these past weeks, it's evident that God has a a place in her life. God is not with those who are doing nothing but spouting venom and mockery and destruction. And if God is at work behind the scenes as we have had such an unexpected election result, should we not be putting our trust in him all the more? We need rocking as a nation, don't we? Unsettling. We need to be asking for God's help and mercy on our nation asking that Jesus makes real from the top down, from our Prime Minister and her colleagues, that invitation of his, come to me, all who are weary and overburdened, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Who knows how God can bring his purposes in our national life when we find ourselves in such a chaotic state, especially if his people pray and let God change our hearts to reflect his. And then those tragic events of Wednesday night with the Grenfell Tower, uh, Grenfell Tower fire. They've shown us every extreme of human emotion, action and response, haven't they? Alongside the more than understandable bitterness and the longing for someone uh, to blame, there's been an incredible outpouring of love and sympathy and practical help crossing barriers of race and religion, bringing real repentance from racist and class attitudes. And it reflects, I think, in a way, this mixture of bitterness on Naomi's part and Ruth's strong, loving solidarity. And as I say, we continue on the journey in home groups this week towards seeing which which wins. And there is a happy ending ahead. Amen.